If, you'd like, if you've got a Bible, you'd like to turn to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And uh, if you're new, which I gather from... I was only here a few weeks ago, about three or four Sundays ago, I think. Jez was away. Um, but there's a lot of people I didn't see then. So it may be that you're newish, and you may not know that we're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' sort of manifesto of the kingdom of God, is how I'd describe it. It's, like, it's one of the most famous speeches ever made. It's one of the most important sets of text that anybody's ever written down or said, and it's Jesus' sort of vision of the way the world is going to look when God becomes king in it, and so he's been laying out all of these things about the way in which we relate to God and the way we relate to each other, and we're going to be doing, because we're doing it in a slightly funny order because of various events we've had, we're actually not finishing. With, this is the last section, even though it's not the last week of the series, but I hope you can cope with that. We're going to be in ch- chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel, and beginning at verse 15. And my title is, for this morning is The Kingdom Works. The Kingdom Works. And what I want to talk about is the relationship between the good news of what Jesus has done and works and things we do in the Christian life, because it's a big area of confusion for a lot of people. And so if you're new to church, some of you may be very new to Christianity at all, and it may be that for you, thinking, well, actually, Presumably, Christianity is a religious system that involves doing certain things which God likes and not doing certain things which God doesn't like, which is kind of true, but it's not the whole story. If you have been in church a long time, you may think, actually, well, of course, Christianity is about the fact that works don't really matter because it's all about grace. And again, you think, well, that's kind of true, but it's not really true in certain ways. And so if I was to ask the question, are good works necessary for salvation? to this room of people, and you had to turn to the person next to you and say yes or no to that question. I think there might be some puzzled, well, in fact, it'd be interesting to try it. I won't, because just there's a lot of new people here, but it'd be interesting to see what you'd say, because I think some people might feel like it was a bit of a trick question, because if you say yes, it makes it sound like you can earn salvation, which is not a Christian idea. But if you say no, then it makes it sound like no matter what you do, it doesn't matter, and you can go and just be a mass murderer and just go, oh, it's fine, God loves me. And again, you think, well, that can't be right either. So it can be a challenging issue. And um, maybe you should, maybe just make a mental note to yourself what you would say if asked that question. So just so we, we, can, we can do a little poll in a minute and see if the answer's the same as what I'm going to say as well. But the, the issue's confusing. And because what happens is a lot of different discussions about works and the Christian life get bundled together. Because in the early church, when the period of the Bible is written, there's a lot of debates between people who think you need to become Jewish to be a Christian and people who don't. And so a lot of what you see in the New Testament period is debate between somebody like Paul, who's saying, you, you do not have, if you're not a Jew, you don't have to become like a Jew to join the church. You can be a Gentile, you can carry on being like a normal non-Jewish person and still be a Christian. So there's a lot of debates between Paul and people about the role of religious works, Jewish works. But there's other debates that kick in as well, like you might be talking to a Buddhist or a Hindu or somebody from a religious world, it might be somebody like that this morning, and your religious system you're familiar with is that there is actually sort of a weighing up of the merits of the good and bad things you've done in your life. And so that's another way of thinking about the place of works. And you might also then be a a modern Christian who, as I said, who says, no, 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 it's all about grace. And actually works don't mean anything because otherwise we'd be able to earn our way into God's good books. And that's not true. So you've got Paul's argument and people who have other religions perspectives and modern Christians, and they might all be meaning slightly different things. So it's a little confusing. And now having created a problem for you, I want to help Jesus, I want to look at what Jesus says to help solve it. Um, 
I'm going to help Jesus solve it. No, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to let Jesus help us solve it and hopefully explain what he says. Um, So Matthew 7, verses 15 to 29, and there's a series of different illustrations he uses here which are going to help us get our heads around the place of works in the Christian life. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like a fool who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. I'm just really grateful that Jesus spoke about this clearly because it's, as I say, a confusing issue. And for many of us, the kind of people we are is that the illustrations will help more than the points. I want to explain what I think the points are for those of us who find it easier to learn that way. But for many of us, those pictures, you'll say, okay, I get it. I understand how it fits because the illustrations Jesus uses are so helpful. But for those who do like points and who like a sense of where we're going, I, I think the, the three things Jesus is saying here in his three illustrations about works and the Christian life are firstly that kingdom works are think the works of the kingdom Deeds done to honor God in his kingly rule. The works of the kingdom are essential for disciples. I think it's one of the things he's saying. I think he's saying they are about obedience from disciples. That's what they are. But I think the joker in the pack is the thirdly, he's saying they are natural for disciples. They will naturally be produced by anyone who follows Jesus. I think they're essential. They're about obedience. And they're natural for those those who are followers of Jesus. I want to show how those things are true in what Jesus is saying. Now, the first thing he said is that kingdom, the first thing I'm saying is that kingdom works are essential for disciples. In other words, if you follow Jesus, then doing the kinds of things he told us to do are essential. They are necessary. They are things we must do, not just things that you can look at Jesus and say, oh, some lovely ideas. I like that one and that one. That sounds a bit difficult or that sounds a bit annoying or a bit out of touch. I'm not going to do that. I will do that. Now that's not an option for the Christian, that actually Jesus is summoning believers to do the things he said. He is calling people to do the kingdom works, and they're actually essential. They are incredibly important. They could not be more important. And that, for some, will be, sound like a very strange idea. So I just want to show you why I think that's true from what Jesus said. If we just have the different bits of the passage up. Verse 19, every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's pretty stark. 
The bearing of fruit, as we'll see, is about producing of the kind of works of the kingdom life. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. So turning up, if you like, at the judgments, when God says, I'm not going to make the world right and resolve all the problems in it, and then at that point saying, Lord, Lord, look, I, I, we, we did this and we said that and the, the other, but actually just calling him Lord doesn't cut it. He's saying, no, the, the person who does what I wanted. That's, that's the issue. That's what I want people to do. Verse 23 expands on that and says, sounds pretty harsh, but it says, and then I will declare to them, this is the people who didn't do what he wanted, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then verse 26, which, by the way, when I was reading it, it was everything I could do to avoid doing this as I talked about the rain coming down. If you've been to Sunday school, you'll know why. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like a fool who built his house on the sand and when the storm came, the house collapsed. That's four separate statements Jesus has in this passage about the centrality, the essentialness, if you like, of good works, which will sound very alien to a lot of us. We think, good works being essential, that, that sounds like it's not a Christian idea, and so we, we, we need to come to that as we go. But kingdom works, you see, according to Jesus at least, are not an optional extra. They're not things which you, you know, the high-class Christians do. And so most of us come in and we go, oh, thankfully, Lord has, God has forgiven me and allowed me to be right with him, and I don't have to do anything. Um, and then there's, but then there's a sort of special grade of Christians who just walk at a slightly higher level than the rest of us, and they do good works. It's not like that. We're either sheep, in his terms, who enter through the narrow gates, and we produce good fruits, and we're wise men, or women, or we're wolves, in Jesus' terms, who enter through the wide gates, and we produce bad fruits, and we don't really know Jesus, and we're foolish men who built their houses on the sand. Jesus divided the world into two pretty clear categories using several different parables. We said, you've got this fine. You've you got good trees, bad trees. You've got a wise man, you've got a stupid man. You've got lots of different ways of dividing up the human race, and they are determined by what they actually do. There is no third way. Kingdom works are essential for disciples. <gasps> okay, so that's the first thing I think Jesus is saying here. So you might then ask, what are kingdom works? What do you mean? Can tell me what those things are? And so this is where I think the second thing to say is that kingdom works are about obedience for disciples. That's what they are. They are about obeying God and doing what God tells us he wants us to do. Doing what God says. Verse 21, go back up again. Previous one? I need to click. Oh, no, that was late. Okay, that was poor. Sorry. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Jesus is saying, look, it, that's what I mean by doing the right works. It's actually the things that my Father wants. It's obedience to, what, to my Father's will. Similarly, in verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a man who built his house on rock. That's what it means to do the works of the kingdom, is to hear what Jesus is teaching and, similarly, in verse 21, what the Father has said. So we've actually got a bit of a doctrine of God forming here, incidentally. The Father and the Son both saying the same things. And so you do what the Father says, you do what the Son says, and you hear it, and then you put it into practice. And if, you're, if you do those things, you're, like, you're solid. You've built your house on the rock. Now, the short answer is, what are the kingdom works? Well, they are obedience. They are doing what God wants. There is a slightly longer answer as to what the kingdom works are, and it comes in the form of some contrasts. 
Okay, so the kingdom works are doing what God wants and not looking like a disciple but living a completely different kind of life. So this is the contrast he makes between the sheep and the wolves. Okay, now I went online because I just thought, what is it, anybody, there must be a Google picture somewhere of wolves in sheep clo- sheep's clothing, and there are, and some of them are quite disturbing. So I thought, well, that one's not disturbing at all, that's just a bit of a silly, who would actually believe a wolf disguised as a sheep? But this one, I think it's a bit odd, and I was creeped out when I found it. And then this one is a little scary, and then the next one is the one who, where you genuinely takes you a while to figure out which one it is. You see him? Front right? Now, it's obviously a weird image, and Jesus is using a very common kind of idea in their world of just animals that most people have recognized, and wolves to us, you kind of only ever see in a zoo, and of course in their world they are a a menace. They will kill, you know, an entire pack of sheep if they wanted to. Um, So you've got to be very careful to tell the difference between a wolf and a sheep, and Jesus is saying, look, what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about doing what I want and doing what my father wants, I'm not saying somebody who looks like they are. I'm not saying somebody who has the external appearance of a disciple. I'm talking about someone who actually does it. And in fact, you need to be careful, he says, of people who look like Christians or look like disciples who say the right things and have the external thing. Look, I mean, all the right kind of coat and fluffy floweriness, and, and yet underneath it all, there's somebody who's trying to eat sheep rather than be a sheep. You need to be very careful of those people. And so Jesus is distinguishing between the true and the false by means of that analogy. And he's saying it's about doing the right things, not about looking like you do or saying the right things. A more contemporary example, perhaps, that some of you might be familiar with, I don't know. How many people here know, know who Jim Jones was? I mean, you might know a guy called Jim Jones, but, yeah, right, you've heard, but not, the, not your mate Jim Jones, right? A famous person called Jim Jones. Three people, okay? So I'll tell you about Jim Jones. So in the year I was, year I was born in 1978, something very tragic happened in Guyana in South America. Jim Jones was um, a, looked like a church leader. He, he, was a, he was a good example of this phenomenon. He, he looked like a church leader. He was a very charismatic, gifted communicator, and he had a professing Christian church. It was called the People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel. And uh, a, f- a friend of a friend was in that church. So a friend of mine, who actually used to be an elder in this church, was at university with a guy who was part of this Jim Jones's church. And he left just before it became quite cultic and weird. And my friend said to him, why, why did you leave? What, what was it that made you realize that this wasn't really a church? It was something weird. Um, and he said, well, we had this event we ran in which we advertised it as, come and hear the man who has all nine spiritual gifts. And when I saw that poster, I thought, I think this is, getting, I think this is turning into a cult. I don't think this is a Christian at all. So he left. And then a couple of years later, Jim Jones took the entire community with him out into the jungle in Guyana, in South America, and 910 of them killed themselves all at once, including 303 children. That was in 1978. So he's well known now as a notorious suicide, mass suicide cult leader. And he's a very good example of this phenomenon, actually, of somebody who, for many people, including someone who, this, this guy I'm just telling you about, friend, my friend of a friend, he's would actually have been reasonably, he was in churches like this for a lot of his life and for a while didn't know the difference because the guy, he look, he's, he's, got the, he's got the coat, he looks, he looks like a sheep, he looks like a believer but underneath it there's something that's out to destroy the people of God rather than to serve them and in, in the end that comes out. 
So that's one of the contrasts Jesus draws. I'm talking about people who actually do what I want, sheep, not people who look like they do what I want, wolves. The second contrast he draws, actually, is along a similar lines between those people who do impressive miracles and people who actually obey God. Now, this is a weird one. So in verses 22 to 23, Jesus says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and we cast out demons in your name, and I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, that's a strange verse, because that implies that there's a bunch of people around who are bringing prophetic words and casting out demons and doing mighty works, i.e. miracles, apparently through the power of God and yet are still not Christians or not disciples. And that's a very unsettling idea. I don't know, I mean, you might now be looking around the room and going, I wonder if it's him. <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe if, you, if you're all nominating the same person, we may have to talk. But you know, in, what he's saying is the test of authenticity as a disciple is not miracle-working power. And it would look like it was, wouldn't it? You'd surely, you'd say, but this person did a miracle in front of me. Surely that person must, therefore, be a, a true example of what a disciple is. And Jesus is saying, don't fall for that. That doesn't mean that miracles mean that miracles are wonderful. Pursue as many healings as we can as a church and prophetic words and all that stuff. We love that stuff. But just, Jesus is saying, that's not proof, actually, that somebody is a true sheep, a true disciple. What's, what proves it is the ones who obey what I told them to do. And you do sometimes encounter people like that who seem to have miraculous power and be able to do remarkable things and yet at the same time are rebels against God and don't honor the things that Jesus told people to do. So it's pretty challenging. And then the third contrast Jesus draws is about obedience. It's not about looking like a believer. It's about obedience. It's not about miracle working on its own. And thirdly, it's about obedience and not just hearing the words of God. This is the wise and foolish builders. This is the point of that story. The wise man built his house upon the rock and the rain came tumbling down. The point of the story is it's, if you hear the words and do them, you're wise. If you hear the words and don't do them, you're stupid. So the contrast isn't between what you hear whether you've heard the words or not. The contrast is whether you do them having heard them. And again, in my life, I've seen many people just, they come into church and they've sat there week in, week out, hearing the words and not doing them. And sometimes you can have people in a church like that for years and you're hearing, hearing. Go, this is, well, lovely, oh, nice, oh, interesting, love that idea. But actually, if it doesn't translate into a changed life, Jesus is saying that, well, that's the foolish guy who built his house on the beach. That's just silliness. So kingdom works are about obedience. They are essential and they're about obedience, not three other things you might think it was. Putting on a good show, working some miracles, hearing the words. Jesus is saying none of those three things are actually what I mean. What I mean is people who do what I said and do what the Father says. Now so far that sounds pretty much like what an awful lot of religious systems would teach, right? You need to do good works and the good works that you do are basically doing what are our God or our religious teacher told you to do. So it could sound indistinguishable from what Muslims believe or what Hindus believe or whoever. But here's what makes all the difference in the world. And this is the third challenge, the third distinction Jesus draws here. He says that kingdom works are not just essential and about obedience, but kingdom works are natural for disciples. Good works grow naturally out of a new nature which gets given to you as somebody who follows Jesus. 
Now, this is really key. This is the difference. This is the bit that marks out what we're saying this morning from what many other people, whether they're religious or not, might believe about the nature of good behavior. So verses 17 to 18, for instance, if we could head to verse 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, and nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Which, when you're thinking about trees alone, is quite obvious. I have a, my garden is lovely. I have a sort of long, thin garden in Eastbourne. And I actually have a bramble, tr- a bramble patch, which I went to war on yesterday. Um, not literally. Um, but, you know, bramble patch at the end of the garden. And I have a fig tree. Now, I don't really, I, I'm, it doesn't look like what I thought fig trees looked like. It's sort of a, more of a bush, really. And it sort of sprawls out like this. And I don't really, I, figs frighten me. I don't know what to do with them. I look at them and I think, I know in some parts of the world they eat these, but if I just pick the, it, it, it kind of looks like a very, very hard, small pear and doesn't look at all appetizing. And then I think, do I, do I cook it? Do I boil it? Do I bake it? I don't really know what to do with a fig. So anyway, um, so I haven't, I've never really used them. I just sort of allow them to sit there and think, I have a fig tree, and that's all. Um, but anyway, fig tree at one end of the garden, bramble patch at the other end of the garden, and there's never a question, of course, as to whether the fig, if I walk past the fig tree, and it had produced a bramble, I would know that my eyes were deceiving me, because that never, ever happens. And the bramble patch never produces figs. That's just not the way these things work, obviously. Uh, fig trees always produce figs just by being themselves. Um, and you, I never walk past, and the fig tree is just going... It just, the fig tree just sitting there. And it just goes, oh, look, there's another fig. About, it just takes a few months. There it is. And another one. It seems very calm, actually, my fig tree. It doesn't look at all stressed about producing figs. It just seems to naturally grow out of its DNA, and it's just planted in the soil, and as long as it's alive, and it's looking up towards the sun, it's, it produces fruit, just naturally. Similarly, the bramble patch never produces, no matter how hard it tries. It just produces these thorny and blackberries, which I like, but it produces thorns and briars all the time, just naturally, bursting forth from who it is, like another one, another one, and, look, and, and some of them are really, like yesterday, as I said, I was fighting them, and um, we, were sort of, we have a trampoline wedged in the corner, and basically the brambles are at war with the trampoline, and they're sort of, sort of climbing over the side and trying to rip this thing to pieces, and it just naturally produces thorns and brambles all the time, just like, look, wickedness and death and destruction. It's just so simple. Fig trees are standing here, nicely producing, brambles, you know, with no real effort at all. And what you find, of course, is that Christian, what a lot of people think Christians are, is people who, is people who make an awful lot of effort to try and do these things which we've been talking about, to say, good, we've got to really strive, we've got to really, apl- and, and against our real nature, we're going, what I naturally do is all of this awful, horrible stuff, but if I just really give my attention to it, I might produce something good over here. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way it is at all. The way it is, is you become a different kind of tree. You it becomes true that you are a healthy tree who not only naturally bears good fruit, but cannot bear bad fruit. That's what, you, that's what I'm calling people to be. I'm, you see, for Jesus, the human problem has not been diagnosed hard enough by people who say, make an effort and it'll work. Jesus is saying, no, it won't. You guys are far too optimistic about humans. What you need is a completely new nature. You are currently a bramble tree that cannot produce good fruit. And what's going to happen is you're going to become, through what I'm going to do for you, you're going to become a new kind of tree. And when you are, you're going to find yourself that simply by sitting there being you 
and allowing the sun to shine on you and remaining in the soil I've planted you in, you will produce figs. Doop, doop, doop. No, stri- no striving. Now, you, would need to, you need to cooperate with the work of God, of course, and you, if you were to be, yeah, some of us, you might think, well, how does that play out? Because some Christi- Christians do sin, and that's true, and you, so it's not like it's an inevitable process whereby every single thing you do is always perfect. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm, the world is really two trees here. Is that I am distinguishing, but if you are truly a disciple of Jesus, you will naturally produce what Jesus calls good fruit. Your life will become pleasing to God because you have been repotted. Your DNA is new, you're a different kind of tree, and that will automatically, automatically if you like, result in a profusion of good fruit in your life. And that's the difference between what Jesus says and what every other religious person says. Because he's saying... You, Works matter. I want you to do these things. I want you to honor God. I want you to aspire to live that kind of life. But the way you get there is not by being a bramble that goes, man, I hope, I hope a fig comes out. The way you get there is by saying, you know, this bramble business is not producing what I want. So I'm going to become a fig tree. Would you please kill off the bramble tree and then rise me again to new life as a fig tree? Give me new DNA, a new nature. Plant me, in the, plant me in the ground, and I'll just sit there in the light of the sun, and I will produce good stuff. Is that okay? And Jesus says, I'm so glad you asked. That's exactly how it works. And that's such an important difference. This is not the way any, as far as I know, there's no other religious system in the world that thinks that way. No other secular system either. So if you read the, the, the ethic assumed by the newspapers that we read and the news programs we read, is all of us are, some of us just make better choices than others. And all of us really have the responsibility to make something of ourselves and to just get the best possible chance at a sort of semi-fig out of a bramble tree. And Jesus says, never going to work, guys. If you're brambles, you'll produce brambles. You need to just kill off the bramble, become a new type of creature. You're a fig tree, you'll find figs come naturally. And that's such a difference. So it's not that Jesus, the difference between Jesus and everyone else is not that Jesus says good works are important and other people don't. Lots of people think good works are important. Nor is the difference that Jesus doesn't think good works are important and everyone else does. As we've seen, he does think they're important. But the difference is that Jesus teaches the only way to produce truly good works is to be made new. Right? To be a different sort of tree, a different sort of creature. So other belief systems say you've got to try a bit harder and Jesus says you've got to become a new tree. So the way, one of the ways that they try to... in the Protestant Reformation, when they would, the Protestants and the Catholics were debating this kind of stuff. The Protestant reformers, uh, if you just go through the, the sort of the thing that looks a bit like an equation, I might have an. Is it? No, is that the last one? Oh, yeah. Okay, no, the next one. The one with the big X across it. Okay, so basically they were, there was a debate in the 16th century, really. Is, are we saying that faith and works lead to salvation? Or are we saying that faith leads to salvation and works. And the Protestants said the bottom one, and the Catholics in that time, I don't, it wouldn't be quite the same now, said the top one. And that, that actually the Protestants were right on this one, and certainly I, probably I would say that, because I'm a Protestant, but that, that actually that faith in Jesus, I think this is what Jesus is saying here, that faith in him leads to rescue, leads to God's salvation of you, but it also produces the kind of works that please God rather than works being something on the other side of the arrow that you have to contribute as a dead person. So you don't. You say, no, I can't produce anything as a dead person. I'm just producing brambles here. I need to be made new, and then when I am, I'll produce things that please God. And I just love this poem from John Berridge. It's one verse of a, of a hymn he wrote. If you just have the next one. 
He was just contrasting the, the way the law works and the way other religions work, actually, and the way the gospel works. And he said, run, John, and work. The law commands, yet finds me neither feet nor hands. Right? The law just puts me under it. It says, come on, go, 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 go. But he doesn't give me the tools to do it. He says, I haven't got any feet. I haven't got any hands. can't do this. But sweeter news the gospel brings. It bids me fly, which is even harder than running, and gives me wings. This astonishing contrast. He's saying that the way that Jesus teaches is not to say, well, you're trying to run and you're doing okay and I, I will, I'll push you a little bit further and you might just get there. And nor is it even to say, oh, no, it's never going to work, so just forget works, they don't matter. Actually, what Jesus does is he calls us to a higher standard of living. I don't mean money, you know what I mean, a higher ethic, and yet gives us the power to go way beyond what we could ever have done by our own efforts. Sweeter news the gospel brings, bids me fly and lends me wings. I know it sounds like the Red Bull advert, but trust me, it's an 18th century poem. And the final contrast just to draw, and then we'll conclude, and maybe just John of the band will come out and lead us in a song. I just, this one has hit, probably hit me more than most lines I've ever heard. The contrast between the last, the last words of the Buddha before he died and the last words of Jesus before he died. The last thing the Buddha said before he died, and you can go online and check it out, it's remarkable, depending on the translation, but you'll basically find that he, the, the Buddha, most translations say something like, but the last words of the Buddha were, work hard and strive to gain your own salvation. And the last words of Jesus as he was dying were, it is finished. And the difference between those two is as wide as the world. That actually the person who says, if I just as a bramble tree make a little bit more effort to produce a fig, I'm golden. And the person who says, that is never going to work. That needs to be killed off. You need to get a new nature. And then when you have, you'll find that these things come naturally. It is accomplished. It is achieved on your behalf. That difference is as wide as the world and it's glorious. So I just wonder if maybe John of the bank could come out and we'll just have a so just an opportunity to respond. Could we just stand? I'd just love to pray for, for us and ex- express gratitude really back to God. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this message. Not, not this sermon. I mean the message, the, the fact that this is so different from everything else. Thank you that you don't make light of the importance to live the right kind of lives. Thank you that you don't just water down your justice by saying, no, or everybody just do what they want. Thank you that you do call us into flying rather than running. But thank you, oh God, thank you that you give us wings. Thank you that you give us the power. You give us the new nature. You turn us into different creatures. You, you say it's finished. And in doing that, you empower the very obedience you call for. I love that. And I'm so thankful. Father, I pray that you would release those of us this morning who labor under a burden of trying to run without feet or hands and you would give us wings you would remind us of the wings you've given us already more accurately and you would help us receive the benefit of being your people and living lives that are pleasing to you as a natural result of who we newly are i pray this in jesus name amen